So this afternoon, we're going to continue in our, uh, our sermon series, A Worthy Pursuit. A Worthy Pursuit. And we're looking at the armor of God. Did any of you read Ephesians 6 this week? I know as I was going through, I kept going through it line by line. And like you, I've read it so many times. And yet each time you read scripture, different parts kind of jump out at you. They minister to you. They speak to you. They stir your spirit. And so it's my hope and prayer this afternoon that we will be stirred. We'll be stirred as we look to the word here this afternoon. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word that still speaks to us today, this side of the cross, the revelation of who you are, your fullness, is clearly on display through your word. Father, I pray as we look through this passage, Lord, I ask that we would be encouraged, but yet challenged in our faith and how we follow you. May we walk by your example through the words of your scripture that we look at here today. In Jesus' name. And if you're in agreement, let's all say amen. Amen. So we're going to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm reading from the CSB. And it says here in verse 10, Finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with truth like belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit and every prayer with request. Stay alert with all preservation or perseverance and inter intercession from all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may be bold enough to speak about it as I should. On Tuesday night, as I met together with some great men from our church, we were going through this passage. And for many of us, it was the tagline at the end of this passage where it says, pray for me also that I may be bold enough to speak about it as I should. There's an exhortation there. There's an encouragement. Not only Paul is asking, requesting for prayer to be bold, but that should reach forward to us today, right here this afternoon that we would pray to be bold, bold as we ought to with the truth of God's word. Last week we looked at how Jesus is truth. Paul said, assuming you've been taught by him and you know him, truth is in Jesus. And he says that the fruit of light 
consists of all righteousness, goodness, and purity of truth. And so we looked at that aspect of who Jesus is, and when we're fitted with that belt of truth, we can withstand all the deceptive lies of the enemy. And as I was working on this message and kind of recapping, even for myself, ministering and speaking to myself, I was encouraged that when we take a big bite out of that truth that is fruit, real truth, that it nourishes us, it nourishes our spirit so that we can actually grow into him in every way. How many of you want to grow into Jesus in every way? Amen, I surely do. I'm definitely far from the mark, but I'm thankful that his Holy Spirit is enriching me, is renewing my mind. He's begun that regenerative work in my life. And the belt of truth is that essential beginning piece. If we believe that Jesus is the truth in the life, well, we're off to a great start, aren't we? But if we believe there's some gray areas, maybe some areas in which we don't quite believe he is the truth in all those fashions, well, then we're in trouble. And so Paul continues to go on to say to put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. That righteousness that says to you and I that the grace that appeared through Christ that teaches us to say no to what? To say no to ungodliness. We're told in Titus chapter 2, Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godliness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as I looked at that verse and how it encouraged my spirit, even this morning, I was reminded in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, that says, and I believe the Spirit was speaking to me as well, you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's Ephesians 5, verse 8. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children in the light. And that actually hit me pretty hard even this morning. So walk in it, Andrew Pierce. You once were in darkness. What's the hold up? Now, not that I'm walking around, going around sinning. Don't misunderstand me. But there's a, still a work. There's a renovation going on. It's kind of like when you're driving down the highway. I know Nick goes to Toronto every day. Toronto GTA is always under construction. The highway is always under work. That's like our lives. God is working in different parts of our lives. He's still working in this life. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says this. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. I'm tremendously thankful, like you probably are this afternoon, that by the grace of God, we can live upright lives. We can say no to those things that maybe have reared their ugly head for such a long time. 
But today I believe that today is the day that the grace of God is going to move in your life and he's going to dispel, he's going to cast away that which has entangled you, that which has enslaved you. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. And so as we move into the first point for this message here this afternoon, I just want to share a few other verses that speaks to who Christ, the truth bearer, is. Psalms 119.90 says, Your faithfulness is for all generations. You establish the earth, and it stands firm. Psalm 89.13, You have a mighty arm. Your hand is powerful. Your right hand is lifted high. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Faithful love and truth go before you. And this is for us right here. Happy are the people who know the joyful shout, Lord. They walk in the light from your face. There's a joy that comes when we're walking in the light. You were once in darkness, but now you're children of the light. Light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Walk as children of the Lord. And so as we look at this breastplate of righteousness, the prophet Isaiah said this once about the Messiah. He said, the righteous one will have a belt around his hips. That's Isaiah 11 verse 5. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. Think about that. He is righteous and faithful. They're not mutually exclusive. He is righteous and faithful. And I love that picture because one day when Jesus Christ returns, he's riding on the horse, the white horse, and it's inscribed on the horse says, the rider upon it is the one who is faithful and true. He is truth, righteousness, faithfulness. He's all aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. He's not one dimension. He's not just love. He's not just grace. It's this incredible encompassment of the fruit, the character of God. And so as we look at this breastplate, I believe we're going to be encouraged as we really look to see what that really stands for. So the word here that's used is deco. It's the Greek word dekosinaya that means having a rectitude for satisfying the moral requirement of God's character. I found that was like quite encouraging, reflecting the very character of God, having the, the moral thinking, the correct thinking and behavior in light of his character. That's the word used here that Paul uses. A moral rectitude, an adherence to what is morally correct behavior and thinking. It's about living upright, a humble boldness. And so I went to the dictionary. I know I've said this many times. I like to open the dictionary when there's a word I don't quite understand. And, or maybe I want a little bit more of an explanation of it. And integrity is defined as this. A state of being whole and undivided. Whole and undivided. A quality then of being honest with strong moral character. The word here in doing research is they are so 
interconnected. They're one and the same. To walk upright, to walk in integrity, to walk in righteousness, you're walking whole, undivided in your thought life and your actions in a way to honor God and to act justly before God and before one another. That's what walking in integrity means. And so think about this for a second. Paul's giving us this wonderful picture of the armor of God. He's giving us a picture of the belt of truth. And he shows us that a soldier, after tucking in the tunic to be mobile and agile with the belt of truth, he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And this breastplate was huge. It had to be because it covers, covers you from the high neck area to your abdomen. We all know full well there's many vital organs in this region. And if you're not protected, if you don't put on the armor, you're susceptible to the attack of the enemy. Most importantly, it's guarding our heart. We know that out of the heart is the wellspring of life. What we give our heart to, we've heard it said, what you give your heart to, you'll give your life to. And so Paul is encouraging us, look, don't go into battle without this covering. Don't you dare go in. You have the belt of truth, but make sure you take up and put on the next step of the armor, the breastplate. It's the heart protector. It's going to protect your heartstrings. If you genesis it, you welcome yourself to attack. And I was encouraged as I looked through Scripture and looking out the word righteousness throughout the word of God. And in Acts chapter 10, it says this, but in every nation, the person who fears the Lord and does what is right is acceptable to him. So think about it. When you and I do what is right, when we walk in integrity, Graham, that's acceptable to God. He's overjoyed. He's pleased by you. Romans 6.13, Paul says this to the Roman believers, I do not offer any parts. He's talking about his body. I do not offer any parts of my body to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. I thought this was a pretty cool image that we're children of light, we're walking in the light, but the way we duke it out with the enemy is by walking in righteousness. Because he wants to be the counterpoint. He wants you and I to walk in unrighteousness. He certainly wants the church to walk in unrighteousness because if he can get the church to walk in unrighteousness, it unfolds, it, it basically hems in on itself and is destroyed. And people can't hear the word of truth, the word of peace. And so a point I want to focus on here for the remainder of the afternoon is this. The scheme of the devil is to undercut, to undermine that righteous integrity to get us involved in places and with faces and people we shouldn't be partnering with. And so let's go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Lost my place here. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter six. Working together with him, 
We also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time, now is the day of salvation. Down to verse 14, do not become partners with those who do not believe, for what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore come out from them and don't, uh, come out from them and separate yourselves, says the Lord. Don't touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Here's that word again, the fear of the Lord. A few chapters before we got into the armor of God, Paul said to submit to one another, to honor one another out of reverence for the Lord. If we revere the Lord, if we love him with an undying devotion, we will want to separate from that which is unclean. We'll want to separate from that which is unrighteous. Because our Father is calling out to us to say, walk in me with truth and purity of heart. Now, we know the righteousness is not within ourselves. Don't get me wrong. We know that we're saved and bought by the blood of Christ. We're saved by grace through faith. But it's that grace, that tremendous unmerited gift of grace that causes us, that bubbles up and, and, and moves us, fuels us to live for him. But the devil, he's scheming. He's luring like a roaring lion who wants to see you compromise. I think if you looked out into the world today, whether believers or unbelievers, we can see how the enemy is speaking those words of deception, getting many to compromise. And he thinks, if I can just get the leaders, if I can get leaders of organizations, big and small, I'm going to do a pretty good job because the, like the bricks like Jericho will come tumbling down. But it's the reverse effect. We want to see the kingdom of darkness tumble, not the church of God tumble. Compromise. I believe the Spirit of the Lord was saying to me this morning that the compromise is the doorway to all things unrighteousness. Compromise. The deception as safe people bought by the blood of Christ is that, listen, I'm saved. Bro, I'm saved. My faith is secure. What harm could really come from me having a little bit of fun? I know I'm secure in his hand, but we know the Apostle Paul said, don't we? He says this in Romans 6.1. So what should we say then? Should we continue to sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death in order that, and here's a beautiful piece, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we may too walk in newness of 
life. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. Say that, powerless. Rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. What I appreciate about this, when we put on the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, we can shut down the flaming arrows of the evil one who wants us to compromise. I'm a very visual person. I kind of picture it like this crazy wild roller coaster. It's fun for a bit, but then you get all these whines and turns and you start to get sick to your stomach. The choices we make affect our lives, don't they? They affect us. There's always this ripple effect. And I thought about that. I wasn't just trying to find a buzzword. I thought, Lord, okay, ripple effect, ripple effect. But I think that goes in line with the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. That which you sow, you'll reap. Jesus said, you'll know people by their fruit. What you ingest in your life is, is going to come forth. What's in the storehouse of your heart? What are we feeding our hearts with? What words are we listening to? What people are we listening to? Even believers. Make no mistake, the enemy still oppresses us today. We know again our heart, we're secure in the palm of his hand, and yet we're still susceptible because our mind is being renewed. David was a man after God's own heart. King David, the shepherd who became king. And yet he wasn't perfect. He misstepped. And yet I believe he shows us the aspects in which righteous integrity, walking in righteous integrity, is the counterpoint to the compromise of the devil, which are a few things that I've listed just for sake of time. We'll just go through a few of them. They are malice, falsehood, and injustice. Malice, falsehood, and injustice. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to look and see how, you know, King David, even with the Spirit of God leading him, the very moment that he opened his heart to the work of the enemy in his life, he succumbed because he compromised. And so malice was able to take root. Falsehoods to cover up what had happened. And injustice was a byproduct. So you may be aware of this story of David and Bathsheba, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it says here that in the spring when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbi. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman, a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her. First wrong step. Who, who's that woman? I must know. And he said, isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Elam, and wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to him, he slept with her. 
Now she had just been purifying herself from uncleanliness, and afterwards she returned home, and the woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I'm pregnant. Uh-oh. <laughs> There's the roller coaster, the winds and the turns. And David sent orders to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the troops were doing and how the war was going. And so he said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And so Uriah left the palace and, and a gift from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with his master's servants. He did not want to go into the house. And when it was reported to David, Uriah didn't go home. David questioned Uriah, haven't you just come from a journey? Why didn't you go home? And Uriah answered David because he was a man of integrity. The ark, Israel, and Judah are dwelling in the tents, and my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in the open field. How can I enter my house to eat and drink and sleep with my wife? As surely as you live and by your life, I will not do this. Stay here today also, David said to Uriah, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited Uriah to eat and drink with him, and David got him drunk. He went out in the evening to lie down on his cot with his master's servants, but he did not go home. So there's a lot of things that are happening here. We see at the very beginning when David opened his heart to look upon someone he had no business looking at, that compromise led to severe consequences. In many respects, malice was able to take root. Malice is defined as an ill intent or thinking evil towards another to do intentional harm. In many respects, he did an intentional harm to one of his own soldiers. And yet David was supposed to be the king to set the example of how to walk in integrity. Remember, the spirit of the Lord was with David. So he knew. He knew better. And yet this happens, and we, then we stretch into the next category of falsehood. He's trying, to, he's trying to cover up his mistake. Like, oops. And you know how hard it is when you tell one lie, you have to tell another, and it's really hard to keep all your lies straight? You can see how this is mounting up for David. And he tries all these different things to get you, you know, Uriah to succumb, to, to compromise and to go against his integrity and go back to his home and live in this place of pleasure, unlike the soldiers who are still on the front line. And so again, David, in many respects, jettisons the breastplate of righteousness here and he goes on to the next bad step, if you will. Another misstep, it says, The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting. Then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. How many of you have friends like that? They say they're friends to your face, but they stab you in the back. When Joab was besieging the city, he put Uriah in the place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. Then the men of the city came out and attacked Joab, and some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. Uriah the Hittite also died. 
So here David began, because he jettisoned this breastplate, malice entered his heart. Falsehood took root, and so did injustice. All because he went out on the roof and jettisoned his integrity. Who, who's that woman? And sent out messengers to inquire about her and then to bring her back to his place. And so the point was that the enemy of our souls wants to work in our lives to get us involved in places and with faces where we shouldn't go. I'm sure that we've all been there. I've been there. I'm not talking about engaging in adultery, those kind of things, but you can look and see how this can apply to other areas of our life. Where do we put ourselves into places where we know we have no business being? This is what struck me as I thought back to this morning when I believe the Spirit of the Lord put on my heart. Walk as a child of the Lord. Walk as a child of the light. It's a conscious decision. It's a conscious battle. But the spoils of spiritual warfare, when we engage, when we put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, we have the fruit that comes forth, the righteousness, goodness, and purity of truth. And so right off the bat, had David been where he should have been, right at the beginning it says, it gives us the hint, in the spring when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. He should never have been in Jerusalem. He should have been at war with his soldiers. He was supposed to be with the Ark of the Covenant. But he stayed back home. And so a walking point for us this afternoon, to walk upright, to walk with righteous integrity, we should be where we ought to be. That's what's speaking to me. Andrew, be where you should be and avoid the places you have no business being. That's what Paul was talking about, being light in darkness. Light in darkness. First John chapter 1, verse 6 says this, If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. That's from the beloved disciple John. The one whom Jesus loved and was very close with. He understood it. And his words are encouraging us here this afternoon. It's not supposed to be like a sledgehammer being like, ah, you've done it again. You've lied again. You're not practicing the truth. How dare you? No, it's like the grace of God has appeared to you to teach you to say no to that stuff, to not go out on that rooftop and engage in the things you know you shouldn't be engaged with. And this is what happens when we're not living and walking as examples, as lights in the world. People think, hey, compromise is okay. So when you look at the church, if I was to compromise in different aspects, it in many ways, in some respects, gives you permission to say, hey, you know, the pastor's doing it, must be okay. In fact, we've seen documentaries on television, and I'm not glorifying any documentaries. It's really sad to see what's happening in the church. But when leadership gets involved and doesn't walk in integrity, it creates a culture of compromise. And all I said this morning, Lord God, may that not be me by the spirit of the Lord, by the power of your spirit and the armor of God, protect me and this church family from the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
We're going to grow day by day. I would rather be a smaller community, don't get me wrong, smaller community that believes this, rests and, and wants to take up the full armor of God because then we're ready for battle. And then we can step into the fold. We can step into the gap for those who have been deceived and maybe compromised. And then we'll see truth spring forth in their life because of your testimony. We've all been there. We've all misstepped. I've misstepped. But I can testify, like we had testimonies today, that God never stops working within our hearts. And so there's a flip side. Amen. Thank you, sister. There's a flip side to this. The flip side of righteous integrity. It's not just pointing out, Dawn, you got to be righteous, Dawn, and you are. You're a righteous woman. I admire that in you. You're a righteous woman of God. You're a prayer warrior. There's a flip side to this righteousness. When those who walk in darkness say, God, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me from all unrighteousness? Sometimes we forget, we get caught up in identifying the righteous aspects, and we forget to see the person who is repented. And we forget to welcome them back in. And I want to stress this, because I don't by any means want to make it sound like we're not a welcoming group. Everyone is welcome in this church. We're hope for today. Again, I pointed this out last week. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There's hope. For all of us, that's why we're called Hope for Today. Everyone's welcome. We believe in life transformation. And so the flip side of this is when people who come and they walk in repentance, we need to be right there ready to forgive them. Paul said this to the Corinthians, and we all know the story of the immoral brother, right? He got involved with the wrong lady, his father's wife, it wasn't appropriate. And they went to him and he wouldn't listen to reason. He got a bunch of other people still wouldn't listen. So Paul said, you need to let the brother go. Hand him over to Satan so he can be completely purified. Because sometimes you have to hit rock bottom before you realize like, oh my goodness, Lord, what have I done? I've compromised. But that's not where the story ended. And that's where I want to wrap things up today is on the flip side of righteousness, we have right standing with God we're to walk with the rectitude of moral, proper moral thinking and behavior, but we need to act justly with one another when someone asks for forgiveness. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says this, I've made up my mind about this. I would not come to you on another painful visit, for if I cause you pain, then who will cheer me other than the one being hurt by me? I wrote this very thing so that when I came, I wouldn't have the pain from those who ought to give me joy, because I am confident about all of you that my joy will also be yours. For I wrote to you with many tears out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart, not to cause you pain, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. If anyone has caused pain, he has caused pain, not so much to me, but to some degree, not to exaggerate to all of you, this punishment by the majority is sufficient for that person. As a result, you should instead forgive and comfort him, otherwise he may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Remember, malice. Malice is intent to do harm. In fact, to increase a person's remorse for wrongdoing. Did you know that? 
He says, forgive and comfort him or they'll be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. I wrote for this purpose to test your character, to see if you're obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it is for your benefit in the presence of Christ. Here Paul is basically thrusting his heart upon them, his abounding love for them. I want you to walk in the joy of the Lord and your character is going to be tested. I want you to walk righteously as men and women of the Lord, members of the light of the Lord. That also involves welcoming people back into the family. He says, I wrote this to test your character, to see if you're obedient in everything. At the beginning of the message, I said, how many here want to grow into Christ in every way? And to he who is the head. This is part of the way. This is the part of the very difficult matter of walking in the grace and righteousness of God. Because in many respects, while we wear the armor, we're opening ourselves up like Paul did with his heart to those who maybe wronged us, maybe those who even sinned against us. But when we remember how much Christ forgave us, that'll empower us to forgive others who come and say, hey, you know, you remember what happened a few years ago? That was, that was totally wrong. I'm a new person. Would you forgive me? In that moment, you're tested. No, I could never forget what you did, man. Oh, I'm preaching to myself. I, I've had experiences. There's not that I have um, undealt with issues, but there's always still that little bit of that hurt. And yet I've also learned the joy of learning how to forgive and welcome them. Even when you see those who have wronged you, you, you walk up and you shake their hand or you give them a hug. I remember one place I was fired from a, a, a job. Um, it was actually by CRA. It was actually wrongful dismissal. Complete, had a whole legal case. In fact, CRA, an agent, called me and said, you have a case. Like, no, I don't, I don't believe in that. And I remember I met this employer some years down the road, and we were at this uh, conference. And I saw him across the room. <laughs> and I felt like a harpoon was being shot out of me that I needed to go and make amends with this man who had really hurt me, really hurt me. And so I went up to him, and he knew, he knew. Went up to him, and I just gave him a great big hug. Oh, that was hard. <laughs> that was so hard. But you know what I didn't know about that situation? It wasn't known to everybody, but he had um, cancer of the pancreas. And he had just found out. I'm not saying God gave him the cancer. No, 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 no. But there was a lot going on in his life. And by him seeing me and knowing what had happened, even knew he was in the wrong. By me going up to him and forgiving him, giving him that great big hug. He said that was healing for him. And one day, I remember he and the leadership brought me up. I drove up to Brampton one day. Megan wasn't with me, it's just myself. And each one of these leaders apologized. And I believe it was because taking that very difficult first step to walk in integrity, even when it's uncomfortable, 
that God was able to make a way where it may have seemed to be no way. (laughs) I want to encourage you this afternoon. The grace of God has appeared to us all. We can say no to unrighteousness. We can say no to ungodliness. And may I be a little bold to say, do not be comfortable with partnering with darkness because it's a gateway. It's a doorway. And once you open and go through that doorway with all its mirrors, you can get lost. But when you call upon the name of the Lord, he's faithful and true to lead you out. The Bible says that when we're tempted, he will not allow us to be tempted more than we can bear, but he will enable us to stand up under it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Jesus said this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Think about it. As you and I hunger for righteousness, Judy, as we hunger, we really form an appetite. Lord, would you make me like you? He's going to fill you. He's really been teaching me how to have a softened heart for people. Now, it's easy to love those who love you, like Jesus says. I'm talking about those who hurt you. I'm a work in progress. I mean, I play hockey, for goodness sake. Like, you, you, you learn how to control your temper, right, when you get hurt on the ice. And my brother plays with me. He can testify that it's, it's a work in progress. But I have to admit, when I'm out seeing my brother and how he conducts himself even, I'm encouraged that there's other men and women, such as yourself, that are walking the line too. You're walking that narrow path. And you think about it, sometimes it can feel like you're all alone. But if you just stop for a moment and realize, no, wait, I'm not by myself. There's others to my left and my right that are here today that are walking that path with me. We can be encouraged. We can be encouraged that as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. And so as the worship team begins to play, out of this story with David and Bathsheba, David learned his lesson. We know there were some things that came down the line. There were consequences. And God said, because of this, there's going to be some things that are going to happen. I encourage you, for sake of time, to read 2 Samuel chapter 11. But Paul, sorry, David said this. After this uh, encounter, he said in Psalm 51, Surely you desire integrity... In the inner self. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. He learned from this encounter, this experience, what happens when you compromise, when you allow your heart to be vulnerable in ways you shouldn't be vulnerable. You desire integrity in the inner self. I love what Jesus says, that I'm the bread of life. When we eat of him, we partake of him, we'll never go hungry, we'll never thirst again. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. We will be filled. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray with everything that has been shared, everything that's been said, even the areas that ministered to my own heart. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit right now would allow that which you would have remained to be deposited into our spirit and the rest of it that is not of you to be jettisoned. 
Father, in this moment, I thank you that your spirit is speaking to us, moving upon us. Lord, we want to be more like you. We want to walk justly, to walk humbly like you, to walk in mercy. Your word says that love covers over a multitude of sins. It's one thing to live righteously, to live upright, but it's quite another to to walk alongside those who have wronged us. Lord, would you help us to open our arms to those very folk, that we would open our arms to them with arms wide open, that they would not be overcome with grief, but Lord, they would be, they would sense that welcomeness, that open door, and they would replace that sorrow with joy, that they're forgiven and they're forgiven by their brothers and sisters in the Lord. Thank you for this moment in time that we have together to grow and to be stretched by you, Lord Jesus. Stretch us. Stretch us, God. Stretch us, Lord. In a few moments as the worship team begins to uh, lead us into that atmosphere of worship, think about those areas of compromise. What are those areas? If If you are closing your eyes, I'm sure right now you can visualize it just like David up on the rooftop with Bathsheba. God sees, and yet he's not up there looking and trying to to knock you down or point out your falter, your failure. But he wants to lead you in the way of everlasting life. Father, I thank you for the weapons of our warfare that we can demolish every stronghold, everything that sets itself up against who you are, the nature of your character, oh God. Every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We're breaking strongholds this afternoon. I really believe that we're breaking strongholds. Brad, I'm going to invite you to start singing the song that's, that's upon your heart. And we're going to kind of do a little bit of something different. It's a little stretching time. <laughs> We've all been to an airport. Many of us go on trips. We pack our luggage. But in many respects, as I said earlier, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. On this journey of life, now's the time to stop carrying all that baggage with us. It's like going to the airport when all you have with you is a carry-on. You know the, the satisfaction, the joy of going through with just the carry-on, not having to check any luggage. But beautiful thing in Christ is it's that we don't need to check the luggage anymore. We don't have to check and say, I'm identified by this. Let's jettison that baggage this afternoon. We can jettison malice. We can jettison falsehood. And so as I sing these words, I think it's I speak Jesus. I think that's what it sounds like to me. I'm not sure. Or whatever it is, is fine. 
Let's identify those things together. Believe, truly believe that Jesus is going to lead you in victory and freedom over that baggage. Amen. Amen.